Hey, a couple of quick um, things I'd like to touch base on before we get into the sermon. Um, one of the a couple of things that we we would like to um, to do over the next couple of weeks, we have dresses back here uh, for Nigeria wedding dresses. We have a we started a bridal shop in Nigeria. It's a business street, and we've hired uh, Nigerians to run it, and that's basically changed their lives. I mean, imagine being in a place where jobs are hard to come by, especially good jobs, and you create a business where, you know, multiple people get to work and, and to, uh, to change their families forever. And one of the things they need desperately are more dresses, because we rent these dresses out, um, and they, they are fashion-conscious fashion, fashion folks over there. And uh, we're getting great dresses from the uh, bridal shops around here, and they're giving to us for free. Uh, you know, these $5,000 dresses that are usually shred into pieces are given to us so we can ship over to Nigeria. They don't want them to stay here, but they'll ship them there. So I need someone, if you would talk to me after the service, maybe one or two people who would help. We need to get those, those dresses kind of put in those vacuum-sealed bags and, you know, kind of suck the air out of there, put them in the suitcases, and ship them off to Nigeria. We have a group from Vineyard that's going uh, in the next two weeks or so. So if you're interested in helping with that, it would be, it would be very, very uh, helpful for us to get those things there so that they continue to move forward in their business. Um, also, another thing I was thinking, I, I'm sick and tired. I'm, boy, I'm just sick and tired of people. I go to the bank, and I talk to the people at the bank, and we talk about our church, and they said, I didn't even know there was a church there. And I'm like, we've been here for how many years? I didn't even know there was a church there. Um, and one of the ways I thought we could draw attention to Grace Chapel is we have these beautiful pine trees that line the road. And if they were colored with, if covered with Christmas lights, like white Christmas lights, and the stone house on the corner is such a nice-looking house, if we could deck out the stone house for Christmas, and when people drove by, they would say, wow, that looks so pretty. That looks so amazing. What is that? And we'll have signs out there. This is a church. Come here on Sunday. <laughs> You know, um, that would really be, I'm telling you, to draw attention. So if you would like to help decorate the front, the, you know, the front part of the road there and the, and the house, please see me as well, because I'd like to get on that. You know, we're, we're going into November pretty soon, and before you know it, it's going to be Christmas, and I like to get those trees decorated and the house decorated and make it look amazing. One last thing. Uh, actually, uh, two quick things. One is uh, you'll see in your, in your seat back in front of you there are envelopes for giving. Giving is an act of worship. Um, I want to fall short of passing the plate around. I, don't, I really don't want to do that, but I do want to encourage you to, at some point during the service, which even right now, that you take that envelope out and just put it on your lap so that you remember your giving, that act of worship and giving. Uh, if you're new here, we don't expect anyone to give uh, if you're new. But if you've been a regular attender, I've had so many people say, man, I forget because we don't really emphasize it. And then I, it, you know, a couple weeks go by, it's hard to catch up. So I want to encourage and emphasize, obviously, uh, the importance of giving to help you along. And the box is over here and over there at the end of the service. And one last thing, we had a men's retreat, had a fantastic time. Kevin did a great job putting it all together. We did a ropes course and they made the mistake of telling us the record for getting up this one area of the ropes course. Um, that's a mistake with especially a men's retreat. And uh, not that I'm bragging, not that I'm, you know, I'm not going to sit here. Yes, I am. I'm going to brag big time. Um, the record was by an 18-year-old college student who did it in 34 seconds. So let me just say, we, we had uh, Kevin, 
Kevin, our, one of our pastors, did it in uh, 31 seconds, and he's 48 years old, okay? So, you know, all for, the, all for the guys over 40, yeah, we crushed the 18-year-old going off the rope. And then two of our other guys, uh, Aaron and Logan, did it in around 28 seconds and 27.7 seconds or something. So we, all, we hold all three. We're, we're gold, silver, and bronze. Just wanted to bring that up. You know what I mean? You know, so, you know. It's important to know who the, you know, who the good people are, or the champions are here. But they were, we worked really hard. It was great. It was a great, great time at our men's retreat. Hey, we're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we, like, like some people, um, need letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are a letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. I love that passage. I love that passage. This morning, we're continuing our series, Touch One. Last week, we we talked about what's holding us back. What is, it, what is it that's happened in our lives or that is happening in our lives that is holding us back from becoming the people that God created us to be, from touching the lives that are around us, from reaching out and making a difference in other people's lives? What is it that's holding us back? Today I want to build on that foundation. I want to build on the foundation from last week because this is, this is building up. Last week I said if we don't get this part down, if we don't understand this, if we don't get this foundation laid, then I should just move on to another series because it's not going to accomplish anything. So if you didn't, weren't here last week, please get the, the, the CD from last week and listen to that. This, this morning, will build on last week. So last week's foundation. And I want to do is I want to look at Paul's definition of a successful life. How does Paul, how does God really define a successful life? We love to watch Shark Tank at our house. Anybody watch Shark Tank at all? Have you ever seen the show? Okay, yeah. We, I, we love to watch it at our house. And there's one of the entrepreneurs on there. And his, his name is Kevin O'Leary. And uh, he, he, has a, he has a specific, he, like, he calls himself Mr. Wonderful. That's his nickname, Mr. Wonderful. I'm Mr. Wonderful. And he, he says that life is all about making money. That's how he says it too. What is life all about? Making money. And that, that's, his, that's his definition of success. But even if you fulfilled all of your financial goals, even if you could fulfill all of those goals, have you been truly successful in this life in the eyes of the Lord? That's really the question. It's not Kevin O'Leary's definition of success. What is God's definition of success? How does God define it in our lives? How do we, how do we measure success in life and in, and in ministry? So as you're sitting here this morning, you say, yeah, I'd like you to answer that question. Well, that's the question that Paul faced in 2 Corinthians. I love this passage. Love the book of 2 Corinthians. Because Paul was facing, he, he was defending himself against a, a group of critics, a group of people, who, critics, who had virtually taken over the church. 
They were, they, were, they were feeding people all kinds of negative criticism about Paul, about his character and his integrity. They were saying things like, um, you know, Paul says he's going to be here. He says he'll be here, and then, oh, oh he didn't show up. He, he, see, what kind of character is that? You say you're going to come, and then you don't come. And here's another thing about Paul that really concerns me. Do you really know what Paul's doing with the money that he gets, that he collects? Has anyone ever thought about that? You know, they're, 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 they're just planting seeds of division. They're criticizing him. They're challenging him as an apostle. They're challenging Paul, his authority as a leader of the church. And so Paul is trying to deal with this. It's kind of like people like that are like, are, they're, they're like political ads, okay? Can you really trust, trust John Smith? I love these commercials. It's like, and John Smith has horns, you know. Ah, you know can you really trust, trust John? John Smith wants to send every job in America over to China. Everyone. He wants all of you out of work. How he became an American citizen, we have no idea. He hates America. He hates his own family, and he'll hate your family. He throws stones at small children who come too close to his home. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I love political commercials. You think the guy who's running is Satan. The other guy is like a, he's a saint. You know what I mean? But Pete, whoa, Pete, he's perfect. This is, this is what was going on. That, that Paul, that, you know, how can you trust Paul? How do we know we can trust this guy? How do we know we can go along with what he's saying? How do we even know he's a true apostle? So this is what Paul is dealing with. These critics were trying to undermine his, his ministry, his life, his work. And, and, and Paul, part of Paul's answer comes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, where he declares the real, he declares the, the real measure of his ministry. The real, you want to check out, you want to check, you want to define me who, for who I am? You want to judge me? He says the real measure of my ministry are the lives that have been impacted, the lives I have impacted through the power of the Spirit of God. That's how you can judge me. You judge me by the, the lives that have been changed. Now, you may be thinking, well, I, you know, this doesn't really apply that much to me because we're talking about ministry. I'm not, I'm not in ministry. Oh, yes, you are. Y- yes, you are. Yes, you are. You are. You, everyone, every member is a minister. Every believer is a minister of Jesus Christ. Just depends on where. You think, well, no, you're a minister. Well, so are you. You're a marketplace minister, Right? You're a minister on the campus at your school. You're a minister at home. You're a minister wherever you, wherever you are, you're a ministry to that area. So as we walk through this, don't be thinking, well, I don't, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not, a, I'm not in ministry. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then you are certainly in ministry. That's how, see, that's how God defines success, by, the, by people's lives that we impact all around us. It's the lives that we are changing. That is how God, that is how Paul, but that is how God defines a successful life. It is, it is not about popular programs or beautiful buildings when it comes to how we do ministry, how we do our life. It's not about big budgets or important sounding titles. I know people who just can't function 
even in ministry, and not, not on our staff, but I, outside, kind of, I, I, I've interacted with a lot of people in a lot of different ministry settings. Some people cannot function unless they have the right title. Well, that title really doesn't suit me. I need a title that sounds like, or I need this title. That's not what it's all about. It's not about building a reputation. It's not, it's not about how much, how much money you have. It's not about how popular you are at school or how famous you might be. Because, you know, in your, in, your, in your world and, you know, the things that you've written, the things that you've done, that's not how God defines success. It's not how Paul is defining. He's actually saying the opposite. It's not how he's defining success. Paul says, those are inadequate measures of success. Those, the, the, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to engage, he says, you critics, on that level. I have nothing to prove to you on that level. I can stand here and basically, truth and time, walk hand in hand. He says in 2 Corinthians 3.1, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, them, Letters of recommendation to you or from you. Letters of recommendation, basically, you know, there were people running around, you know, claiming to be apostles, claiming to be followers of Christ and having authority. And so you had to get a letter of recommendation many times so people, you could prove that you are truly an apostle, you're truly a follower, you're truly a, a teacher or a leader within the church. You had to have those letters of recommendation. Paul says, I don't need a letter of recommendation. I'm not, I'm not even going to justify myself to you. Paul says, I don't need to boast, and I don't, I don't need a, a letter of reference to prove my validity, the validity of my ministry or my life. I mean, that's bold. Everybody else had to come and, and prove. They had to prove it with, you know, I'll lay it all out for you. I'll, I'll show you why I am who I am. That's different from our, the way we do things today. When someone challenges us today, we pull out our certificates, we pull out our trophies, we pull out our, our letters of recommendation, our promotions, our, our portfolios. We pull it all out and we lay it all out on the table. And we we want to show everyone how significant we are and how important we are. And, how, and I'll tell you right now, and this is something that we as a church need to pray about, and this is something that our city, our city, since the city of Cincinnati needs to pray about. This is one of the sins of our city, self-promotion. Self-promotion. You think about it. I'm not going to talk about it anymore now, but I want you to think about it. That is one of the sins of this city. Self-promotion. We're a little bit overboard on promoting ourselves. And I think it spills over into the church. We need to make sure that that doesn't permeate the church. Not just Grace Chapel, but churches in general. Because it creates the wrong kind of atmosphere within the church, between churches, between ministries and organizations. This, this whole sin of self-promotion. There's nothing wrong with, with marketing. There's nothing wrong with sharing what's going on in your community, what's going on in your church. But this whole internal self-promotion, something we all need to, someone, our, something our city as a whole needs to deal with. For Paul, letters of recommendation, approval, and, 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 the, and the recognition of others, the applause of the world, this is not how he defines his success. It's not how he looks at it. It's not how, how he was going to, to measure true success. What matters most to God and to Paul were changed lives. Changed lives. I want you to remember last week a little bit. We talked about last week. And I want you to now bring it into this week. Paul says, you want to be successful in life? You want me to prove my success? 
changed lives. Look at the lives around me. Look at the people that I have invested my life in. That, that, there, there's my answer. He explains it in verses 2 and 3. He says, you yourselves, I love this verse. I love these verses. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. As far as Paul was concerned, the real proof of his ministry came through the changed lives of his hearers. When he preached the gospel, people's lives were transformed. The real measure of success are the lives around you that have been changed. The lives around you that have been transformed. As he preached the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon people and their lives were radically transformed. As Paul would go out through the power of Jesus Christ in his life, through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, and he would speak and he would teach, people would be transformed. That's what he's saying in verses 2 and 3. Now let me give you a little more background about the, the Corinth. Is, this is important as we, as we walk through this. As he's talking about this, about change, why it's so important, why I don't need letters of recommendation, I don't need to justify myself to you, because Paul is in Corinth. Okay, now, a little background about Corinth. It was, it was a pagan city, okay? You know, what happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth, whatever the case may be. This was a pagan city filled with idol worship and, and, and sexual immorality, it was permeating the city. It was a seaport town. And you can, at that time, you know, when you get a seaport town, everyone's coming in from different cultures, different places. There's trading going on. They hit that seaport town and off they go. And this is what, it, this is what was happening. It had, a, it, had a, it had a reputation for sensuality, all kinds of debauchery going on to the point that when you wanted to call someone an ungodly person, you said they were Corinthianized. If you wanted to call someone a name, that's what you called them. If you were to say, this person is completely, utterly ungodly, you'd say they were Corinthianized. They, were, they would give in. These were people who would give in to their, to their sexual appetites, to their just fleshly appetites, whatever they were. This is the kind, this is where Paul is. This is who he's speaking to. This is the foundation. This is the environment in which he's speaking. Corinth was a place that you could truly say, Man, anything goes there. You name it. I mean, you, whatever you can come up with in your mind, anything goes in Corinth. So when the gospel entered with its promise of transformed life through the power of Jesus Christ, sinners were converted. People were getting saved. Paul came into this muck of an environment. And he walked in and he began to preach the gospel and the gospel of transformation of life. And then people in Corinth were coming to know Christ and their lives were being radically changed, radically transformed. And, it, and, and, and you can just imagine what was going on when, when, when that happened. Paul wrote, just to give you a little background, Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. He says, he says, 
Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? This is, now he's, again, Corinth, think about this. Do you, not, do, uh, do you not, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Lays it all out comes in and he's not coming in he's not trying to you know come in and just say well i don't want to offend anybody i don't really want to you know that's not what that's not what happened paul would come in and say look at the situation and go hey just a reminder don't be deceived the wicked do not inherit the kingdom of god you need you need a transformation in your in your life but see he lays that all out but that's not the end of the story that's not the end of the story. Look at the next verse, okay? 1 Corinthians, if you have your Bibles, try, maybe try to turn the real fast or hopefully it'll be up here on the, on the screen. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. He lays it all out. These people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul doesn't stop there. That's not the end of the story. Look at verse 11. And that is what some of you were. Love that. That is what some of you were. But you were washed. But you were washed. Listen to the words. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. See, the foundation of this text is laid in the first phrase of verse 11. And that is, and and you know what? You can raise your hand if you want to. That is what some of you were. That is what some of you were, he's saying. He lays out all these things. He says, but that is what some of you were. Transformation. There's transformation going on there. In those eight words, in those eight words, we find the power of our faith. The power of our faith. Our faith is first and foremost a a religion of conversion. Of conversion. You think about Christianity. You think about the foundation. People sharing their testimony. Christianity, the foundation of Christianity is about, it's a faith concerning conversion. People being transformed. Christianity is built on the truth that when you are in Jesus Christ, you do not have to stay the person you were. That is what, that's what it's about. When you have the Holy Spirit, when, when you ask Christ to come into your life and the Spirit of God fills you and you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, the foundation of our faith says you don't have to stay the person that you were before. Man, I'll tell you right now, if, if, if you were to interview Someone who knew me when I was 17, 16, 17 years old. And you said, tell me about Jeff Greer. And they had a good memory. And they can go back. You'd sit there and take, you'd be taking notes and you'd be going, whoa, whoa. Really? If you took two people, send people to interview Jeff Greer from 18 and younger. And now interview people who know him now and you wrote all those things down, you would have two different humans. No one would say that's the same person. No one would come to the conclusion, if you mix them all up and say, now tell me who, who's, who's this person when he's 18, and now he's 50, tell me who, who matches up. They'd be completely confused if you mix the papers up. They'd be completely confused because I'm a completely different human being. When Jesus comes into your life, the amazing thing about Christianity is that you do not, and you don't have to remain the person that you were before. I can't stand people putting labels on other people, especially Christians. 
oh, so-and-so, he's just like that. He was, he's arrogant. He's so arrogant and proud and everything. Have you, have you seen him? Have you talked to him in the last year? Maybe God work, has been working on the man's life. Maybe God has been working on her life. She's such a gossip. All she does is go talking about. But maybe the Holy Spirit has convicted her of that because God doesn't leave us the way we are and she's a completely different person. Don't, do not label people, especially who are Christians, because who I am at 50, I will not be at 55 or 60 or 70 or 75. I will continue to transform into the likeness of my Savior Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is talking about. This is what Paul is talking about. Your life can be radically transformed by God. The miracle of conversion happens when Christ, listen, The miracle of conversion happens when Jesus, the life of Jesus Christ, collides with our humanity. That's what happened to me at 17 years old, late in my, almost 18. The life of Christ collided with my humanity, and guess who came out? Guess who won that battle? It's like playing, don't play chicken with God, okay? He's not going to turn. And when he slams into you, you're the one who's changed. You're the one who's transformed. And that's what happens when Christ collides with our humanity. He gets in there and, it, and he's like pitching. I've had grown men who are 40, 50, 60-year-olds crying to me, coming to me and saying, why am I crying? Why am I crying? I got saved. Now I cry a lot. I said, because it's the Holy Spirit in there working, throwing things out your ears. He's in there doing his thing. And you're totally transformed. Wives who've known their husbands for 30 years saying, this is not the same man I married. It's not the same person. He asked me the other night if, I could, if he could do the dishes. I nearly fainted. Transformation. Once God enters the picture, my friend, your life will never be the same. Will never be the same again. You may think, you know, some of you may be sitting here and thinking, well, I'm a... You know, you know, I, I hear you. You're getting excited. You know, he, he gets, you know, Pastor Jeff gets excited sometimes. But I've been going to church all my life. I've heard all this stuff, and I've been going to this church, and I went to this church, and everything. And you think, man, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a good person. You may think you're a spiritual person. You may think you're a religious person. You may, you may obey all the rules of your church. Your church has these rules, and you go along, and, and and you go along with those rules. But my friends, true transformation comes only when you give your heart to Jesus Christ. I don't care how long you've been going to church. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you've gone through all the different rituals in your church and all the different programs of your church and all these different things, and you have been, you're, you're a rule keeper. When they told you at six you had to go through this, you did it. When you were 14, you did that. When you were six, you did it all. And you're just going through the rules and you're doing all that kind of stuff and you've got all the, that's totally fine. I'm good, good for you. Good for you. The only thing that matters to God is when you give your heart to Jesus Christ because that's where transformation takes place. Transformation does not take place in what we do all the time in our little things and how we set things up. And let me ask you a question. Who is Lord of your life? I want to ask, the t- and I want, I, want the t- I want the teens especially listening up too, okay? Who is the Lord of your life? The Lord of your life. You or Christ? Who is the Lord? And you say, well, Jesus is the Lord of my life, yeah. Does he determine what you watch? What determines what you watch on TV? What's funny? I love that show. I love that cartoon show. It's really funny. It's rude and nasty and obnoxious, and they drag the name of Christ in the mud sometimes. But boy, it's funny. 
Is it, is it determined what music you listen to, what you wear when you go out of the house? Why are you arguing with your parents about what you're wearing? You know, you really shouldn't go out like that. Your shirt's a little whatever, your dress is a little whatever, and you're, oh, I can't believe you, Mom. Well, wait, 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 time out. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. So why are you having a debate with your parents about this? You should be, there should be no debate at all. You should just look at yourself and listen, think about what you're listening to and critically evaluate, critically evaluate by the word of God what you're listening to, what you're doing. I'm not talking just to teenagers. I'm talking to everyone. Who is the Lord? People want Jesus as their savior. Oh, he's my savior. Makes you feel good. You know, he's my savior, carry me through the hard times. But the Bible says if Jesus is not Lord, he is not savior. Who is the Lord? Who is the, the director of your life? You need to ask yourself, I need to ask myself that question. Now, think about Paul, what he's writing here. Now, okay, so we're, we're, we're talking about Corinth, okay? And you had all these people running around. I mean, it's nasty. It is nasty. Their religions are nasty. Nasty. Prostitution of every kind you can possibly imagine. Okay, think about think about Paul, what Paul's writing here. All right. Can you imagine the impact in Corinth of an idol worshiper who comes to Christ? He comes to know Jesus Christ and and all his friends at the temple of Aphrodite. Okay, the the goddess of love are doing all their thing. The the temple's filled with with nasty people doing nasty stuff for Aphrodite. Oh, that's, oh, that's the way I want to worship. Okay. That's what a religion. You can go and do all kinds of nastiness and that's your religion kind of thing. And then Paul comes in and he lays it out. No, no wicked person bang and goes down the line. All of a sudden, one of the guys who's been hanging out with all his friends worshiping Aphrodite on Saturday and Fridays and Saturdays and every other night they can come up with all of a sudden the guy gets saved. His life is transformed and his friends are like, Scratching their heads, they're like, where were you last night at, at worship? I, I don't, I'm not doing that anymore. What do you mean you're not doing that anymore? No, I, 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 Christ, Jesus Christ has come into my life. And let me tell you about him. Let me tell you what he's done in my life. Let me, let me, let me try to help you understand the transformation. Imagine the impact on his friends. Imagine the impact when someone says, I am no longer living this life. I'm going to live this way. Someone would go, you're an idiot. What a moron. (laughs) Dopey guy. What do you mean? You can't sleep with anybody? You're not unless you're married to him. But I'll tell you what, what, how would that impact all the people around him? Many of them would come to know Christ. Many of their hearts would be open for the very first time. There'd be, what a transformation. Or maybe one of these priestesses, okay? One of these, one of these, one of these priestesses who practices a form of religious prostitution doesn't show up to her job anymore. And her friends are wondering why. And she says, I no longer want to live this lifestyle. I no longer want to live this way. I no longer want to give myself away this way. It would completely blow their minds. This is what Paul is talking about. Transformation. He comes in. He invests in their lives. These critics in his church, these critics all around him are saying, how do we know? How, you, how, do we, how can you prove? Look at this guy, Paul. And Paul is talking to priestesses. He's talking to all these offenders of all these kinds of things and they're getting saved and everyone knew they were hanging out down at the at Aphrodite's temple everyone knew this woman was a prostitute everyone knew the kind of debauchery that was going on and all these people are now sit, a lot of them are lined up now they're sitting in church 
They're not going there anymore. They're sitting here. And Paul's saying to these people, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I don't need letters of recommendation. There they are. There, there they are. There, you. Can you give a testimony? Yes, you. Can you stand up? Tell us where you were before and tell us where you are now. Touching lives, transforming people's lives, impacting people's lives. True conversion takes place when God changes the tenses of my life. This is what you were. This is what you are. This is what you were. Now this is what you are. That's what Paul uses to silence his critics. The power of the gospel. The power of discipleship. Jesus has the life-changing power to utterly transform your life from the inside out. This is what was happening in the first century church at Corinth. And this is what can be happening in your life if you give your life to Jesus Christ. If you give your life to Jesus Christ. transformation God's transformation in our lives why is this so important I'm actually going to break this sermon into two sermons and I'm going to do the rest next of it next week because I have too much to say now and there's too much still to go and I'm not going to rush transformation each one of us has been created by God for a very specific purpose. I said last week, why is this so important? Why is it so important that we understand the things that we're learning? Paul stands up and says, what's the most, how do, I, how do, I judge, how do you judge success? By the lives that have been transformed. By the lives that I've invested in through the power of the Holy Spirit and their transformation. That is how he defines success. And I said to you last week, why is that so important? Why is that so important? And I said, because you are not the only one who needs you to believe that. We're going to lay out a five-year plan in our church over the next month or so. A five-year plan of how we're going to impact locally and globally. And if you think the first 12 years at Grace Chapel was an adventure, hang on to your boots for the next 12 or the next 30 we're going to lay that all out. But in, for, in order for us as the body of Christ to reach those goals, it starts in here, internal transformation. And when we talk about touching one, that's what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about, he's saying, how do you judge success? How do you measure success? One life at a time. How do you challenge me as an apostle when you look around you at church and most of the people there, I led to the Lord. They were prostitutes. They were attacked. They were there. They were here. They were going there. They were doing all these different things in the seaport city of Corinth. Now look at their lives. I rest my case. That's what, if we're going to change our, if we're going to change our church, if we're going to change our local community, if we're going to change our nation, if we're going to change our world together with other churches, if we're going to do that as the body of Christ at Grace Chapel, it starts here. And it starts with us following Paul's example. Follow my example, Paul said, as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. Jesus invested in individual lives and the world was never the same. Paul invested in individual lives and challenged anyone 
to come against him. Why? Because you can look all around him and see the results. He said it truth. Basically, here's what he was saying. Truth and time walk hand in hand. I, have, I, I do not have to. I don't have to present myself to you in any other way but to look at the people around me. My ministry is written on people's hearts and the changed lives of the people that I'm investing in. My friends, bow your heads with me, if you will. If we are going to impact our community, our local community, our business community, people who are struggling in business, if we are going to impact our schools, your friends at school, whether it's a Christian school or a public school, it doesn't matter. If we are going, if you are going, you are a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're going to impact your school, if you're going to impact your, the marketplace, if you're going to impact your home, then here, this is the criteria. It is the letters that we have written It is the people that we have changed through the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to touch lives. We need to reach out to those in our neighborhoods, in our schools, at work, and touch lives so that when the time comes, And we ask the question of ourselves, have I been successful in this life? The answer will be written on the hearts of all those that we have touched. Father God, I pray that you would use this church, that you would use this body to transform the lives of others. Father God, that we would follow in the footsteps of Paul, who when challenged about his life and ministry, responded by saying, these people all around me are our letter. It's written on their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's been transformation. There's been radical change. God, that's what I want for my life. I want people around me who have been radically changed. I want my friends to be radically changed. I want the people in this church to be radically changed. I want my family to be radically changed. I want my world to be radically changed. And Lord, I raise my hand as one who will accept the responsibility. And I ask, dear God, that each one of us in this room would accept that same responsibility. Wherever we are, use us there to touch just one life, one at a time, and we can change the course of history. God, we thank you for this time you've given to us, and we pray, dear God, that you would use it in a powerful way. God, that we would leave this place transformed people, that we would leave this place different than when we came in, ready to go out and fight a battle for you. Taking territory back for you. By the power of your Holy Spirit, working through your people. Use us, we pray, in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great week.